0: Our listeners and lurkers. I'm Alan Johnston. And I'm Amy Johnston. And we're so happy that you're joining us for The Last Aisle. This week, we'll be covering the 2011 movie, Your Next, directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett. This movie involves many actors and directors associated with the mumblegore horror genre, including Ty West, Joe Swanberg, Adam Wingard, and Amy Simetz. Mumblegore is a horror take on the genre of mumblecore, and its characteristics include a small budget, use of improvised dialogue, shooting on location, and practical effects, all of which Your Next offers in spades. Now, if you'll indulge me, a dramatic reading of The Back of the Box. When a gang of masked, axe-wielding murderers descend upon the Davison family reunion, the hapless victims seem trapped until an unlikely guest of the family proves to be the most talented killer of all. Ah! Amy, do you? Um, what's your experience with this movie? I had never seen this movie. I'm this so is my surprised. First. This is my first time watching it. And... It is one that I definitely remember the iconic box art for. Yeah, yeah, like the movie poster. And you had definitely recommended it to me, and I, for some reason, just never watched it. And then when you picked it for one, to, as you when you picked it as as one to watch uh, for your script this week, and we started to watch it together, I was like, "Holy shit, I've never seen this!" Yeah, so, so it was this was actually, like a surprise watch for you. <laughs> yeah, it was actually a surprise. I'd never seen it. I was. Uh, Really excited. Yeah. Once I realized that it was a new movie for me. I think this is one that I picked like, you know, probably a few years ago on like, you know, one of those days where you're randomly flipping through Amazon Prime and you're like, I don't know, I just wanna see a horror movie. Yeah. Um, you know, read the description. I was like, oh, okay, it seems like home invasion horror, maybe a slasher. Um, I was kind of pleasantly surprised when I watched this movie because mm-hmm. I mean there's a ton of schlock out there. There's a ton to wade through to kind of get to the little good bits. And I really enjoyed this one. It has a, a tiny element of some black comedy in it. Mm-hmm. It just, it has a good feel. The movie feels good. And yeah. it's put together well. And I I enjoyed it. And you did, Mike mention of Mumblecore in the beginning uh, when you were kind of mm-hmm. introducing the movie. And one of the things that I think, it's definitely a genre of movie, subgenre that's growing on me quite has grown mm-hmm. on me quite a bit if you've ever seen creep by the duplass brothers oh yeah that is an excellent example of mumblecore it's like one location or a location in some surrounding locations in this mm-hmm. wooded area um but it's hyper focused on the conversations and it's really the eerie unsettled feeling you get yes as it's a po- an excellent movie yeah and there's like. In Mumblecore specifically, they are hyper focused on relationships and the dark dark spaces that relationships go to. And that is part of the horror, I think, for many people. Yeah, and that definitely plays out in your next, you know, kind of the interpersonal relationship dynamics that dysfunction of of family (laughs) dysfunction, exactly. Yeah. With all that being said, let's get going. Caution: Spoilers ahead. The movie opens on a sound of a squeaking bed and somebody in the throes of passion. Eric played by Larry Fessenden, and Talia played by Caitlin Scheele. Uh, She's obviously bored as Eric finishes up. Yeah, we're all already into... uh, And I'm just like, great, this movie starts uncomfortable. I'm super excited about it. That's what I wrote is uncomfortable humping right out of the gate. (laughs) So you're like, oh, oh, okay." okay. He leaves the room to shower and Talia gets up and walks around the house going to turn on some music. She looks underage, but she is not, which the movie confirms later. But like at this point, you're like, uh, what? Wait, double uncomfortable. Yeah. She looks very young. I stopped everything to ask her specifically within the first (laughs) five minutes of this movie. I was like, ew, is she a child? I was like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. no, They (laughs) talk about it. They say that she's not. And I'm like, ew, I don't like this at all. Yeah, it's a little much. Talia doesn't notice the motion sensor light going off outside, and we can hear twigs snapping. On the CD player, she plays Dwight Twilly's looking for the magic and makes herself a drink. I hope you like this song, and if you're not sure if you do, don't worry, you're going to hear it about a hundred more times in this movie. Light goes on behind her, and she slowly turns to see what it is. Eric gets out of the shower and dries off, going into the bedroom. He picks up her drink and takes a sip. Eric notices something on the sliding glass door and walks over to it to inspect. Written in blood from the other side of the door are the words, You're next. And Eric looks down to see Talia's body dead on the floor. In shock, he turns around and he's quickly grabbed by the throat by a man wearing a lamb mask. The masked intruder raises a machete. Eric screams and a gush of blood splashes across the sliding glass door. And this is the second time, second movie that we've reviewed where Fassenden <laughs> fails to see a body on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And uh, is Larry like, Fessenden is like, oh uh, shit, a body. And I'm like, look down, dude. Like, look down, Fessenden, look down. It takes him a minute. <laughs> we cut to a scene of an SUV driving down a dusty, lonesome road in a rural area. Inside are Aubrey, played by Barbara Crampton, and Paul, played by Rob Moran. Aubrey notices their neighbor Eric's car in his driveway, and Paul says that he heard that Eric left his wife for a college student, and is probably living up here full time now. So she's a college student, so at least eighteen. Let's hope, unless she started college when she was twelve. Let's <laughs> let's just say she's eighteen. Aubrey says that that's a shame, and Paul says that they are so isolated up here that it might be nice to have a neighbor in the area, but Aubrey doesn't seem convinced. She goes, I guess. (laughs) Ew, people, ew. I guess. The couple reaches a super nice, huge house, and as they go inside, Paul notices that the front door was unlocked. Paul brushes it off, saying that the workmen probably didn't lock up behind them. All the furniture is covered in large drop cloths, so we can probably assume this is a vacation house of theirs. Aubrey goes into the dining room to start taking the cloths off of all of the furniture so little fun fact about just Barbara Crampton she had been retired from acting for a long time at this point she quit to raise her family and she actually came out of retirement to do this movie so I'm really excited yes I really love her and I'm happy to see her again and she was just in
1: Puppet Master. Puppet Master
0: that we just reviewed together. Yeah, that's why I got so excited when she showed up. I was like, yay, I love when she shows up. I love, up yeah, and I love how that worked out that we, we yeah. got to cover her. So, a, a little bit about the film location here. Oh, yeah, this house. The mansion from your next is situated on the Columbia Country Club golf course in Columbia, Missouri. But believe it or not, I did did not clock this as being in Missouri. I would have said like like New England, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was built in 1927. The mansion is only $800,000. That's not bad. It's I mean... not bad. It's five bedrooms and 11... It says five bedrooms and 11 rooms, which I guess it's five, 11 rooms in addition to, or all together. And that doesn't... I, so, sorry. I was just going to say, that doesn't surprise me, because when I was writing the movie and trying to figure out what room shit was happening in, I'm yeah. like... It's a dining room or a hallway or, or another a side dine- room or a third third one of the third room. kitchen, three kitchens. I'm not sure. Yeah, it is an absolutely sprawling beast. And it's only it only sits on um, 8,448 square feet. So it's a little tiny little thing. That's how big the house is? 8,000 square feet? 8,448 square feet. Wow. It's a giant house. Yeah, that's a pretty um, sizable beast. Just a quaint little country cottage. <laughs> yeah, right. To go vacation in. <laughs> right, so uh, whatever. People with money can do fun things, I guess. Oh, yeah, like the upper middle class stench on these people is giving me hives already. Yeah, no, they're they're very uh, waspy. Ex- I mean, extremely waspy. Driving in a car on a dark road, Aaron, played by Sharni Vinson, and Crispin, played by A.J. Bowen, are on their way to Paul and Aubrey's house, who are Crispin's parents. He mentions that his dad is retired from a defense contracting firm, and he jokes about them having to have dinner with fascists. Aaron wants to make sure there's going to be some good booze at the dinner, and Crispin agrees that they should probably stop and pick some up. Yeah, because he's like, my mom's on medication, so there's not going to be an alcohol there. Yeah, so by him saying that... I mean, I guess we're supposed to think that Aubrey's unstable. I don't know. That's what, That's ov- kind of what I got. An overly medicated high society woman. I <laughs> like, kind of got, yeah, I kind of got like, she's got a pharmacy, so there's no alcohol. Right? Like, she's like, she's a medication. She's nuts. Yeah. Back at the house, Aubrey's sweeping up, and in the dining room, large, loud footsteps from upstairs shake the chandelier, scaring her. Paul suddenly bursts in, startling her even further, and she asks him if he was just upstairs. He said he was just in the basement, and he didn't hear the loud noise when she asks him about it. She's convinced that someone's in the house and says they have to get out of there. Paul says he'll check upstairs, but she wants him to get the fuck out of there with her. Yeah, she's a nervous white woman. Yeah. He grabs a tire iron, umbrella, antique club, some kind of large blunt object, Mm -hmm. and says that he'll go upstairs and take this with him while he checks, and he asks her if that will make her happy, and she just goes no (laughs) like no dude i don't care if you're armed i said let's get the fuck out of here she doesn't give she's like let them have the house let's go right aubrey waits outside in the front while paul creeps upstairs slowly investigating just as he's about to open a closet door off of the bathroom crispin grabs his shoulder hard from behind and scares the absolute shit out of him (laughs) like don't ever approach somebody whether you know them or not from behind quietly and then just be like like right on their shoulder You're gonna make them piss Like it's just gonna Or happen. they're gonna beat you down Right So some, you're gonna get peed on Or a fist this in the is, face This is Texas They'll just shoot you here Oh god Yeah I know Crispin says he doesn't want to be a big downer But asks his dad why mom is crying in the driveway So it's such a great start <laughs> to a family <laughs> weekend like, mom is, why is Hey mom nice cry- to see you Why is mom crying it's, <laughs> it's great Paul sighs and tells Crispin to come with him And they both leave before they can investigate the closet Once they're downstairs, the closet door slowly creaks open. So somebody is in this house. house. Outside, Aaron is comforting Aubrey, and Paul introduces himself to Aaron while Crispin hugs his mother. Aubrey's embarrassed for acting stupid and scared, and Paul and Aubrey go inside while Aaron and Crispin stay outside, amused at whatever the hell is going Mm. on. She's like, I feel so silly, and I'm just like, If you only all would have listened to her. (laughs) Mm, Right. Aaron and Crispin are about to go to bed and Aaron asks about the house. Crispin says it's his dad's retirement project, but really that just means that he hires other people to work on it. Yeah. Aaron says that Crispin is lucky to have parents like that, but he doesn't seem so sure. Crispin says that his brothers and sisters will be there in the morning, and they haven't all been together in a long time, so it should be interesting. Aaron asks what that means, and Crispin, like, half smirks, and he goes, you'll see. And I'm just like, okay, I guess he is um, not really super into this family reunion idea. Yeah. Uh, They snuggle up in bed together, and they go to sleep. Aubrey's in her night clothes, wandering around the house, getting ready to wind down for bed. She heads into the kitchen, pours herself some water, and takes a pill. And in the reflection of the outside window, we can see a white animal mask come into view from outside, but Aubrey doesn't see this. She turns off the kitchen light and leaves the room. I love that kind of like... That's a classic horror trope, yes, but I love it Yes, when you're watching the main characters, they don't know they're being watched, but we know they're being watched, like... It I love it. I kinda of, yeah. Where something in the some. mirror, like someone's behind them in the mirror right. and they don't see it. That sort of that moment when you're you're most vulnerable and you're least aware of your surroundings. Yes. You're in a home, you're like doing my I'm doing my thing, I'm getting a little drink of water. You feel yeah. secure, so you're not paying any attention. Yeah. Yeah. And the windows in this movie of the house like play a lot into the movie. Mm-hmm crispin's eyes flutter open as we hear distant talking elsewhere in the house it's morning and he heads downstairs to find Aaron talking to a couple of people in the living room discussing kangaroo boxing it's probably worth mentioning here that Aaron has an adorable australian accent so yes. that's probably why they're talking about kangaroo boxing right because i'm assuming the yeah the man that she's talking to is Drake played by Joe Swanberg who is Crispin's brother and the woman is Kelly played by Margaret Laney who is Crispin's sister-in-law. Drake and Crispin playfully but not quite so playfully box with each other and we can see here that Drake is a total dick. <laughs> yeah. And that's what that's what I was going to say uh earlier is that like he is probably the one who brought a uh, kangaroo oh, yeah, boxing like, yeah he has no tact no he's like oh you're australian have you ever fought a kangaroo or like stabbed a koala bear like he's just he's one of those dudes with no tact and you totally see that more through this movie <laughs> imagine your most imagine your most like ridiculous depiction of a trust fund baby mm-hmm. who probably went to an ivy ivy league school because he's a legacy. He's that kind of Yeah, douche. he totally trades on his name, like his last name and like doesn't Do you really You know who my father is. Absolutely. Kind of shit. Yeah. But like totally has no self-awareness that he's being Tactless and a dick. Like he's he doesn't just like, have what? to be. He doesn't have to be. No, that he take just care of it. gets to be himself. Um, Drake gives Crispin shit for being chubby. So like he's yeah completely awesome. <laughs> Aaron looks at a family photo on the wall, and we can see that the family consists of the parents, three brothers, and a sister. Aaron wanders into the kitchen to find Aubrey washing dishes and asks if she can help with anything. Just real quick about that picture. It is the most unhappy. Any family, like, I've ever seen any family look at a picture. Well, everybody's smiling, but they're obviously very, like, plastered on. And they're so generic. This Mm. looks like a photo that came with a picture frame. Like Yes, (laughs) well, I don't know if the picture frame is, like, a haunted wasp family (laughs) that is, like, going to take over your... It's just, it's very staged and very fakey-fakey. I do not like it. Aubrey initially says no, but then remember she's out of milk. So she asks if Aaron will go to the neighbor's house and see if he has any, and Aaron says that she will. That would have been, like, my deal breaker because I'm so afraid of, like... I'm already in a house full of new people, and you want me to go meet another new person and ask them for something. No, I think I You don't know me. I'm sorry. I have to break up with you because I you're gonna make me do things. I, I'm just, not, I cannot do that. <laughs> I cannot social with other people for you. Yeah, that's a I'm big note. here. I'm staying here until we leave. Do you have a dog I can talk to? Because that would probably be oh, ideal for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blessedly, this house is free of animals. Blessedly. <sighs> Yes, blessedly. Because we don't have we, to see any animals go through anything. I know, because if there was a dog, the dog would die. And we're we will cover that at some point. Yes. In movies. Yeah. Oh, well It's funny that we're talking about dogs dying because the original opening scene for this movie was not supposed to be Eric and Talia. It was supposed to be an old man who lives nearby who finds his dog dead. No! I guess the studio saw it and was like, yeah, no, I know. And so they rewrote it, which thank God, God, because like I was like, if... Honestly, if the movie had opened that way, I, I, don't know, I don't know if I'd be as into it. I know. would have turned me off completely. And I'm just like, not the dog, not the cat, not yeah. the animal. Yeah. Um, are fine. Kill all the people you want. Yeah. <laughs> Our priorities are spot what? on. It's the horror movie. I came here to watch that. I did yeah. not here, come here to watch my, my animals get hurt. Yeah. Outside, Drake and Crispin are inspecting a piece of furniture that their dad's working on. And Aaron stops to say how wonderful they all look together. And she uses her digital camera to snap a photo of everyone. Paul tells Aaron to join them, but she says Aubrey asked her to run to the neighbors to see if he had any milk. After she leaves, Drake makes fun of Crispin's relationship with Aaron, because of course he does, and he heads inside to check on his wife. Not before being like, it smells real good, Dad. Like, it's going to be real good. He's such a fucking kiss-ass, and I want him to die first. (laughs) Can he die first? (laughs) Paul asks Crispin how the bid for a fellowship turned out and Crispin said not well he didn't get it. Paul plays kind of a dickish dad cuz he he like basically says here that it's Crispin's own fault he didn't get it. Yeah, we he, see the family dynamic like he has that um upper middle class, I'm going to say conservative probably just given what his job is, like kind of Dad, yeah, and like like expects ins- his sons to be successful in their own right is not really going to give him much of a leg up until yeah, yeah it, that's kind of obvious. And yeah, us. and we know um we find out later like Crispin's a professor, he's a yeah. teacher, and so I mean, I kind of feel like Paul might be the kind of guy that's like teaching's not a real pro- like those who, those who, can't, who can't do, do teach. teach right. So yeah, it's it's just a moment of like oh god, okay, so you're that kind of guy, yeah. Back inside, Drake walks into the room where he and Kelly are staying, and he sees that she's just gotten out of the shower. She starts to poke fun at Aaron, saying that maybe she's one of Crispin's students and that her accent is really grating, but Drake is not paying any attention to this and tries to take off Kelly's bra. She says that she's not feeling it and Drake gets frustrated asking her if she has any Vicodin <laughs> and she tells Drake to check her purse. So these are awesome people oh, we're with a gonna... casual drug habit. Snowhead so <laughs> so <no> snaps <laughs> snaps the skateboard. No, she's so like, We're not gonna so we're not gonna we're not gonna smush. Fine. Do we have drugs? Right. <laughs> I don't wanna feel anything. I I either wanna feel everything or nothing. And since I can't feel everything, I'd rather feel nothing. Yeah. Aaron walks down the road to Eric's house, and outside we can hear that the same song from the night before is playing loudly on the stereo. She knocks on the door, but of course nobody answers. We can see Eric's dead body sitting on the couch, but Aaron doesn't notice it, and having no success, she leaves. Later that evening, outside the house, Amy, played by Amy Simons, greets her mother and introduces her to her boyfriend Tariq, played by Ty West. Other brother Felix, played by Nicholas Tucci, also greets Aubrey and introduces her to his girlfriend Z, played by Wendy Glenn. She gothily smokes a cigarette, silently watching Aubrey through her thick black eyeliner. Yeah, she's she's like definitely giving too cool for school vibes. Oh here. my god. She's got like, she's this, like this like perfectly blunt black bob and She's like smoking a cigarette and Aubrey's like, it's so nice to meet you. And she's just just like, "Eh." like gives like a half smile. I'm like, okay, so that's great. Everyone heads inside and Amy squeals and runs over to hug her brother Crispin. She introduces Tariq to everyone and introductions are made all around. Paul offers to start pouring people some wine and Aubrey just says how much it means to her that everyone is there together. It's like a typical mom, like, mom, my whole family, like she's being really sweet and genuine. Yeah. A bit later, the entire family and guests are sitting around the table to have dinner and Paul asks them all to bow their heads for a prayer. Nobody looks particularly thrilled about it, but they all grab hands and listen as he talks. This is another moment, too, where where Drake is a total kiss-ass because after his dad says amen, he's like, and thanks, Mom and Dad. Like, he's such a wiener. Yeah. Which also, this kind of sells that. You're like, okay, this is like, they're that kind of family. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable in this room. Yeah. Oh God. Just being in that room is my horror movie. It's a, completely it's instant migraine. Yeah. Once the prayer is over, Drake asks Tariq what he does for a living, and he says he's a filmmaker. Drake says he doesn't think he knows any filmmakers, and Tariq says he's had a documentary play in an underground film festival. And Drake is like, "Does that mean they play the the movies underground?" i "What's like, an underground film festival?" Fucking idiot. Drake asks if he does commercials saying that he thinks that's the height of the art form. This guy has... He's I'm, also he's a child. He's fucking with him on purpose. Well, I was too. gonna say it's one of those where you're like, is he being genuine no, or is he being a, being, being a total prick? And I think he's being a total prick. He's trying to find little ways to dig under his skin. Yeah, because he like makes a comment. He's like, oh, starving artist, and Amy's like, we're not starving. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, it's terrible. He does come across to me as the kind of brother who is specifically there to keep the rest of the siblings under because yes. he wants to be the favorite that's a very he clear He seems like he could be the oldest too. Like if you look at all the kids, mm-hmm. all four kids, you're like, yeah, he's probably the oldest brother who's just like or even worse he's the second oldest and he just he he, he do everything he can yeah. to appeal to mommy and daddy. Yeah. So that's that's the dynamic in this family. Yeah. Drake then turns his attention on Aaron and Crispin and he asks her if she's still in school. We know what he's fishing for here. She says she's finishing up her master's, and Crispin says that Aaron used to be his TA, but she quit because they thought that that relationship was inappropriate in that context. Under his breath, Drake says, that's a little unprofessional. (laughs) But Crispin calls him out, asking, Mm. "Uh, what the hell did you just say? Drake acts all fake injured about it. Like, well, what did I say? What did I say? You're the one that said, mom, did I say? Oh, my God. Like, why are you so been out of shape? They get into a really annoying and uncomfortable sibling argument at the table while Paul and Aubrey try to get them to calm down and everyone else just looks awkward. Yeah. Tariq, who is also very uncomfortable, stares out the window to try to avoid the confrontation, but he catches something out the corner of his eye. As the brothers continue to argue, devolving into insults, Tariq gets up and walks over to the window to see more closely. He says, what the fuck is that? And the window breaks. Before we get into this action, because I know that something is coming here, yeah, a little bit about family dynamics. I just have to say to you across this table right here, thank you so much for not being this kind of <laughs> asshole family to me. I know. I and, look, and likewise, I'm sure there's li- lo- I'm sure there's lovely listeners and lurkers out there who have not the best relationships with their siblings, and I'm sorry if that. Yeah. I'm definitely genuinely sorry if that's. You don't have a good relationship. I know that I can't e- cannot even imagine no. what that must be like. Thank God we are not the type of people that are like overly um, competitive yeah. for family attention, mom and dad attention, or like being the best one or no. coming in at coming out ahead or getting mom's money or getting yeah. dad's. money. This is just. Oy, 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 Yeah, it's bad. The whole stressor in the beginning of this, like the first 30 minutes of this movie is just family tension. Family yes. tension, family and a, tension. A lot of the conversations um, they said were improvised, like when the brothers are sitting there arguing and, you know, the parents are trying to stop them and whatever. A lot of those... Um, A lot of it's improvised Mm -hmm. from arguments that they had within their real families. So, like, and that's one of the characteristics of Mumblecore is using improvised dialogue. So, they probably are like, I I don't know, they fight here about whatever. Whatever. And so they just kind of let him go. So, it does, the movies feel more authentic in that way. And this really did see, I was like, I don't like this. Like, this feels a little too real. Yeah. One by one, while the boys continue to yell at each other, everyone quiets down and looks over towards Tariq, who is standing there making odd little grunting noises. Tariq's hand suddenly flies towards his face, where a fucking arrow is sticking (laughs) through his entire head. He falls to the floor, and Amy screams in realization of what happened. Mm -hmm. The room is now thrown into utter chaos. Mm -hmm. People dive to the floor. Z and Felix run out of the room. Everyone's screaming. It's a complete mess. Another arrow comes through the window and goes through a chair. Amy tries desperately to wake Tariq, but he's very dead. Drake tries to get Aubrey away from the window and another arrow comes through and hits him in the shoulder and like in the back in the shoulder. Aaron crawls under the table and pulls Aubrey down to the ground. Wait, just a minute. So right here after the airwits, and mom is like just standing in the middle, like screaming bloody murder in the middle of all this. Yeah, she's just standing up. Petrified and standing and screaming. And she's kind of me. I think if I was in with this situation, I would be frozen in fear. I don't know what I would do. I am a freeze. I know if it's fight or flight. I'm either flight or freeze. I'm probably freeze. And it, w- oh God, I don't. I won't make it. <laughs> okay. yeah. I don't know. Aaron crawls under the table and pulls Aubrey down to the ground. Nobody has a cell signal. Felix mentions that whoever this is must be using a jammer and Drake calls him a lowlife for knowing what a jammer is. <laughs> so like they're still fighting. There's a guy dead on the ground and he's like you're fucking lowlife. You know what a jammer is. He has like a bolt in his shoulder and he's like Yeah, from and he the, takes time out to like just be tell like, his brother like you suck. You're the dark web. I hate you. It's so it's so funny. Another arrow comes through the window, Erin's shouting commands and she tries to guide everyone out of the room, telling them to hold up the dining chairs and use them for cover as they run past the window. Aubrey's useless, but Paul runs with her to the other room behind a chair. Aaron is the last one to run out and an arrow pierces her chair and she dives into the other room with everyone else. Drake wants to pull the arrow out of his back, but Aaron says not to and to just put pressure on it. Dude, okay, Aaron was already giving me, like, kind of Zoe Bell vibes because of Max in the beginning. Yes. But she seems real adept at, like, treating field wounds and dodging bolts already. Yeah, because she literally screams, go, go, go. And I'm like, are you in the military? Like, what the shit? I I'm like, "There's there's secrets about Aaron. Yeah, something is definitely up there. Drake begs for the Vicodin in Kelly's purse, and he takes a huge mouthful of (laughs) pills. So I guess it's like, yay, drug habit. Aaron and Paul look out the front door to see if they can see anyone, but they don't. Felix suggests that someone makes a run for one of the cars so they can drive for help. Everyone argues over who's the fastest, and Amy Amy starts crying because nobody believes her that she's the fastest (laughs) She's like, why does no one believe in me? She's, like, such the baby of the family, the only girl of the family. That's what I I'm, can be fast, too. That is what I mean about the moments of comedy in yeah. this movie. It's, like, I feel like this movie, if Ready or Not had a cousin... Like the it's like they are very similar. This one's way like darker. I have but it's so fucking funny. I have comparative thoughts definitely on this. Okay, I will, we I can will save get to them a, to the end. But like, yeah. yes, I have made the same connection. I also think, man, if this movie didn't have some of that like reality comedy, I don't think I would have liked it as much because I think. It is it is nonstop action for a while and it can get mm-hmm. confusing because you're like who's flying where? But the fact that you have like this just little momentary break of this girl sitting on the floor losing her absolute <laughs> shit because nobody will acknowledge that she's the fastest is The best thing. And the way that, like, her dad even reacts to her saying that. He's like, no, honey, I know you're... (laughs) Like, oh, my God. You, like, get the idea that she has probably thrown the same kind of fit at every family gathering since (laughs) she was born. Like... (laughs) Nobody's paying attention to me. It's maybe so that's great. why there's no alcohol in the house because she has a glass of wine and then she gets upset. Oh, maybe. Aaron tries to convince everyone that nobody needs to run outside because they don't know how many people are out there, but absolutely nobody is listening. Amy takes off her shoes and her earrings while Felix and Z move a table out of the way of the front door. They're going to pull the doors open at the last second for Amy to be able to run out at full speed. She starts sprinting towards the door. Paul and Felix pull the doors open, and bam, she is caught in the throat by a line of razor wire that the attackers have put just outside the door. She falls to the ground, spurting blood and clutching her throat, while Paul and Felix drag her back into the house. Aubrey screams because that's what Aubrey does. Crispin, Aaron, Felix, and Z look on horrified while everyone tries to help Amy but she dies. Yeah, that shit did not work. I know. I felt bad, too, because, like, she spells her name in the movie the same way you do, and she was the second one to die, so... And she had that... She was, like, the little child, and she was <laughs> upset that nobody would acknowledge that she's the fastest, <laughs> and then she got her throat cut. R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> Aaron runs upstairs, and Crispin follows to ask what the hell she's doing, and she says she needs to lock all the doors in the windows. She texts 911 since she's not able to place a call, Crispin here goes, that's not going to work. And she just says, well, I'll have it keep trying. And he gets this weird look on his face here. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Aaron goes back downstairs where Amy's body is covered with a sheet. And Paul escorts the absolutely distraught Aubrey upstairs to lie down. Aaron says that they need to take care of Drake's shoulder, but he says that all the Vicodin he took means he can't feel it anymore. <laughs> so he like, reaches much, he would like reaches back and touches his shoulder. I was like half expecting him to flick the bolt, but he like reaches back and touches it like nothing. I know. Nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. This, is, this is, I is fine and I is fine. Yep. <laughs> Aaron says they need to cover all the windows and lock all the doors. And Crispin says he's never seen her act like this before. She says this is a unique situation. Felix tries again to convince everyone that someone needs to run for help outside and Aaron says they need to try to signal someone that the household needs help. Crispin says he'll go grab a sheet off the bed or something. They can put like SOS on it. Paul puts a blood spattered Aubrey into bed and she begs him to stay. He says he needs to go check on their kids and he kisses her arm as she whimpers and cries. She's this is a little heartbreaking. This is very hard to watch. Mm -hmm. He turns the lights out and Aubrey continues to sob in bed. Back downstairs, Z closes all the curtains and Felix covers Tariq's body with a tablecloth. Aaron grabs a knife from the kitchen and locks all the windows in there. Back in Aubrey's room, we see a hand emerge from underneath the bed and a fox mask slowly peers up over the side of the bed. Okay, I'm sorry. Watching that fingerless gloved hand come from under the bed after just covering Puppet Master, I was (laughs) like, oh no, it's It's thumbhead pitted. (laughs) That's revenge. And he's gonna climb up on the bed, and Aubrey's just, gonna fling him across the room. He's gonna punch her like twice times. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna fling across the room. Oh no! He silently stands up with a machete in hand, and Aubrey looks up just in time to scream as Fox, played by Lane Hughes, brings the machete down. Everyone races upstairs at the sound of Aubrey's screams, except for Aaron, who's still in the kitchen. As she goes to lock the final window, a hand breaks through the pane and grabs Aaron by the hair. She takes the knife she's been carrying and stabs it through the hand of the tiger-masked attacker, played by the screenwriter Simon Barrett. She retrieves— Holy sp- crap! I didn't even not even realize that that was him. Why did I not realize that was him? <laughs> <laughs> she retrieves a small cleaver from a drawer, but by the time she's turned around, Tiger's gone. Drake kicks the door open to Aubrey's room And as everyone comes in to check on her We see that it's too late Aubrey dead in bed Machete embedded in her forehead And the words you're next Scrawled in her blood on the wall beside her mm. Paul begins screaming no And Crispin and Felix drag him away So he doesn't have to look this Yeah was, they have to hold him back it's This was also very hard to watch Because this is Genuine. It felt it you felt have this, very like, powerful. Shitty family, and they're kind of like shitty people, but like mom's emotions are genuine, dad's emotions are genuine, and you Yeah, yeah, you feel it here. Yeah. You don't you don't like you don't wish that on somebody. No. Kelly goes into the room to cover Aubrey up with a sheet. As Drake comes down the stairs to comfort Paul, he asks Crispin, why would anybody do this? Crispin's just like stares like I don't fucking know. In Aubrey's room, Kelly looks at the words in blood on the wall, and she decides to check under the bed when she hears a creak in the floor. As she peeks under, the fox mask pops up suddenly, causing her to scream. She runs down the stairs, screaming, and out the front door, ducking under the razor wire as Drake chases behind her, screaming, still screaming, still screaming. She's like unintelligibly, just like just total scream whole, whole way. Yeah the arrow in his back catches the wire injuring him further and he yanks it out of his shoulder he holds up the arrow to stare at it and then passes right the fuck out (laughs) on the front porch he's just like ah uh, shock uh, and And drops. yeah kelly runs away from the house through a wooded area screaming her fool head off Mm. we see another masked figure with a crossbow on his back step out from behind a tree and follow kelly's voice Back inside, Aaron is tending to Drake's now arrowless wound, and Z says that maybe they should run for it since Kelly made it. I reiterate, she's pretty good at dressing and, like, checking. Oh, Aaron? First aiding upon. Oh, yeah, she just knows her absolute everything. Crispin says he's going to try to make it to a car so he can bring it to the front door, and then that way they can get everyone out of the house. Aaron really doesn't want this to happen, but she hands Crispin her cleaver and tells him to go ahead and take it. Crispin leaves out the front door and Aaron shuts it behind him. Kelly approaches the neighbor Eric's house, the stereo still blaring the same song. (laughs) I really hope you like this song by now. Through the sliding glass door, she can see Eric sitting on the sofa from behind him. She begs and pleads to be let in, but she suddenly catches a reflection of a white mask in the window behind her. The lamb-masked attacker, played by Elsie Holt, punches her in the face, knocking her through the glass door and onto the floor inside. Kelly crawls across broken glass while lamb slowly stalks behind her. She reaches Eric on the sofa and looks up to see that he has a huge machete wound in his head and is very clearly dead. R.I.B. Fessenden. Oh, I know. (laughs) Poor, poor Fessenden. Yeah, gets it every time. I know. She screams and Lamb grabs her from behind, tossing her through the glass coffee table and onto her back. She lays there bloody and coughing, dazed from everything. And Lamb lines up an axe to the side of her head like a golf club and four. Yeah, I (laughs) mean, wackadoo, like right through, like. Right through the side of the brain. Yeah. The song starts over again, and Lamb looks down at the axe embedded in the side of Kelly's head. He sits on the couch next to Eric's corpse, and he tilts his head in wonder as he admires his bloody handiwork. Also, I love the psycho head tilt. The, high, the psycho Yeah, head where tilt. he's just like... Again, another horror trope, but, yeah, but every so time it's the, the monster in a mask with the head tilt because it's like, oh, I'm so curious about how blood works. It's yeah, just, yeah. Every time you see it, you just go. It's very Michael Myersy too because like all their masks are pure white, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, a little bit here, what I noticed here was that there's not, it doesn't appear to be any sort of like appliances or like viscera or huge chunks Mm-mm. of brain matter. No, it's just anything like that. blood mostly. It's really just Buckets of blood throughout this whole movie, so much so that I didn't really make note of who did the practical effects because to me it wasn't. I didn't want to focus too much on that, mm-hmm. given that the director, the writer, the actors that were in this movie all contributed more to the type of horror movie this was than the mm-hmm. practical effects. Yeah, definitely. contributed to it. Not to say that it's not an important role, and I mean the um, the makeup department was like. Like seven people it was a very small makeup department yeah the head of the makeup department um sophia of uh otvos she's known for like she's known more for she's known for like rampage utopia chicago seven she's known for like not extremely graphic horror movies she's mm-hmm. known more for like high energy like suspense and s- suspense type movies, romantic comedies or dramas. Yeah. She's really not known for like horror or like really big practical effects. So, that said, I just wanted to kind of mention that because that's something that I always pay attention to being mm-hmm. an artist. If there's a good visual effect, I want to but one of the things that i really loved about this movie is that it they do while they do not hold back on the buckets of blood there's lots of blood in this movie mm-hmm. there's not a lot of gore? No, there's really say. not. I mean, you know, the very first thing that happens is we get the arrow through Tariq's head, mm-hmm. um, but that's a fairly simple practical effect. Yeah. Um, most of what we see is like s- stab wounds and you know, yeah. like things sticking out of of people and stuff. But like that said, there are good blood gags. Oh no, there's great. some good blood flowing. No, no, in no. This. no. It's, yeah, yeah, no, it's wonderful. But but the movie is really sold, like you said, by the actors. Mm -hmm. and by the script it's not sold by like oh this is just a really shitty weak story yeah with a bunch of awesome effects so you're like (laughs) well I'll just watch it for the effects you watch it for the story right back at the house Crispin is back inside telling the others that the car had been disabled but he didn't see anyone out there so he wants to go back out to try and run for help Paul and Aaron tell him not to, but Crispin says he's going to go to the neighbors and call for help once he gets far enough away from the cell phone jammer. Aaron tries to hold him back one last time, but Crispin kisses her and tells her that everything will be fine and he leaves breaking down the razor wire on his way out the front door it or it must be piano wire because actually makes like a little piano note sound like he's like Bling. interesting <laughs> note here Crispin seems like awfully confident that everything's gonna be okay and I just like you kind of expect him to be pretty like meek mild dude and for him to take control here it's kind of yeah, like a like, little sweet moment reassuring Aaron and stuff. Yeah, you feel like she truly implicitly trusts him here. He's like, look, it's going to be all right. So it's a tender moment. Yeah. Aaron tells everyone that it's safe to say that at least one of them, meaning the attackers, is inside the house. she goes to pick Drake up and Z and Felix help and they hide him behind some curtains while he's completely passed out. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and I it, didn't really notice uh, that until the second watch through. I'm like, oh, they just they just dragged him behind some floor length curtains and like closed them. They're like, they're just going like, to hide him. Hide you right here. <laughs> Nobody make, else see you. They couldn't kick him under the couch. So I guess they put him behind some curtains. <laughs> Aaron asks what room is the safest for them all to be in and Felix says that all the rooms have windows so he recommends the basement Aaron says that won't work they could just pour gas down the stairs and toss in a match and Z's Z's face says what the holy fuck and my face said what the holy fuck like why are you thinking that way how do you know this (laughs) I know she goes back uh, Aaron sorry Aaron goes back into the kitchen And she notices a pot of boiling water on the stove Still rolling away from dinner And she turns it off What kind of David Koresh upbringing did this girl have? I don't know <laughs> Aaron looks at the hole in the window where Tiger had grabbed her And she then retrieves every sharp and blunt object From the kitchen that she can find She goes back into the dining room to hand them out And glass from the window next to her explodes inward She falls forward dropping everything Tiger comes inside with his axe ready, stepping over Kelly's dead body that he's used to break the window, and he swings the axe towards Aaron. She rolls out of the way, kicking the attacker right in the junk. Then she grabs a metal meat tenderizer, hitting him in the leg. He drops to his knees, and she stands up, absolutely wailing on his head and neck with the tenderizer until he is quite dead and very tender very tender <laughs> like, super tender brain those things are no joke though we have one and those fuckers are heavy anytime i hear a noise i'm like (laughs) where's my meat tenderizer i know exactly where it is exactly which drawer i know how to get to it. and that's obviously not inspired by this movie because you hadn't seen it before that's just your weapon of choice mom gave it to us one time she like gave it to us a while back and she was like look at this thing do you want it i was like "Yes." yes but i never thought of it for your tenderizing meat i'm like weapon well unless it's somebody's face meat because they broke in, I'll tenderize your face. You know what's gonna, what would truly happen though, is if anybody came in, I would freeze, pee myself, and drop the tenderizer on my foot. As though I just be and then fall over, huh? crying, crying, <laughs> crying, and hopping, and full of pee with me, with a bruise on my broken foot. And the attack would be like, Jesus, I did not sign up for this. You and know, just leave. You've got you've got enough problems as it is. I'm to head out. <laughs> I'm just gonna go somewhere I'm, else. I'm gonna take the Steve Elm out. You can have everything, man. Go ahead. Oh, God. Felix and Z, who have seen this whole thing, look astonished. Aaron asks if they recognize the invader as she pulls the mask off, and Felix looks at his face and goes, Well, it's kind of hard to tell because she just made mincemeat out of his head. Yeah. Aaron looks over at the window and Kelly's dead body is laying half in and half out of it. So I guess he like retrieved the body and like brought it back to the house as like a trophy. that's bold. It is very bold. Felix says he's sure that Crispin is fine that he's a tough guy. and Aaron's like, yeah, no, he's not, but thanks. And uh oh yeah, thanks for the help. Because Felix and Z just stood there Stither. while she is beating the shit out of this guy. And he's like, It looks like you had it under control. And granted, if I was witnessing this, I probably would have the same approach. I'd be like, She's got it. I mean right. Like me going over there to help. Either I'm gonna get swacked or I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that'll cause him to like get up and get away. So like you take care of that. If he starts to get away, I'll bum rush him, but like You've got it. There is also a fantastic cinematic moment here. It happens almost in slow motion. It doesn't. It's just the way... It's a beautiful shot. As she's willing on the dude's brain, the last... Blow that she strikes, you see all of her hair fall in front of her face, and you can only see just kind of like a drape of hair and like a little bit of her nose sticking out. And she has almost like otherworldly being like the like Samara from the ring or oh, something. Nice. Like she has this she is no longer human and in, in this moment in time. Something has changed in her. She is in a very specific state of mind. She She's in a very specific yeah. survival state of mind. Yeah. And like I noticed a little twinge of something that happened to her when she first sees the blood pouring out of Amy's neck. She go gl- she looks mm-hmm. at it. She looks at it and she just There's like a switch flips. The emotion goes away. Yeah. She's just like, There's I no am no emotion in. there anymore. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Yep. It's that energy's just awesome. Yeah. Aaron asks where Paul is, and we see Paul upstairs going room to room with a large butcher's knife. He goes into the closet he didn't get a chance to check before, and he sees food wrappers on the floor and plastic water bottles full of urine inside. So somebody has been camping out. Definitely been peeing out, drinking water. (laughs) Somebody's at least drinking and peeing in that closet. They're semi-hydrated. Someone shuts the lights off to the house and Felix tells Aaron to go look in the basement for the breaker box and that he's going to go upstairs to check on Paul. The lights come back on and Paul turns around getting completely startled by Felix and Z. Paul tells them that someone's been in the house watching them and waiting to strike, but he's interrupted when Fox steps behind him and slashes his throat. Paul stumbles and reaches for Felix to help, who backs away with a disgusted look on his face z and felix watch with total calm and disinterest as paul bleeds to death on the floor felix turns to fox and says did you really have to do that in front of me oh oh shit felix! <laughs> yeah. oh, shit, shit oh shit <laughs> fox who had his headphones in the whole time has heard absolutely nothing he's like did you, you, say, you something say something to me he's like oh jesus Felix leaves to the bathroom to wash his dad's blood off his face and he stares at himself in the mirror in a, now I must reflect on my dastardly deeds. Who am I? Moment of self-reflection. There's this moment when he like, the blood sprays on him and he's like Ugh. like yeah he, that's what i mean like he like recoils in this not even disgusted way it's almost like a how a, dare a, you bleed on me like a blo- like a bug landed on him or like <laughs> dad puked on him he's like ah like yeah, know his yeah. dad you watch paul like reaches and kind of like brushes his hand across yeah his uh felix's face and felix is like don't fucking touch Ew, me get it off get it off oh, you're dying that's just that's Ew, nasty. dying is gross <laughs> Back in the basement, Aaron looks around and we see Lamb come into the dining room, crossbow drawn. He comes across Tiger dead on the floor and bends down to check on him, sobbing and absolutely crying just like from the soul, from the depths of the soul. So
1: pretty sure these guys were related. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Filled with rage, Lamb flips the dining room table as Aaron creeps up the basement stairs, meat tenderizer in hand lamb picks up his crossbow and tiger's axe and starts patrolling around looking for erin while she keeps her cool at the top of the basement stairs and she slips a screwdriver into her back pocket unfortunately she does make a small sound by knocking a broom aside and lamb immediately hones in on it he approaches the basement door and erin peers out the keyhole to see his eye looking right back at her he tries the door which is locked and he starts jack torrenting it up with his axe breaking Mm -hmm. through the door Mm-hmm. Aaron screams and backs away and just as we think Lamb is about to get to her Drake stumbles out from his hiding place behind the curtains <laughs> coming face to face with Lamb initially he just goes hey and then he realizes who the fuck it is and he's like oh wait no shit oh god <laughs> no wait wait, wait 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 Drake drops a quick fear deuce in his pants backing away from Lamb in terror <laughs> From behind Lamb, Aaron runs out of the basement with a primal scream, stabbing him in the shoulder blade with her trusty screwdriver. Lamb drops the axe he's holding, which Drake retrieves, and sensing that he's outnumbered between an axe and a meat tenderizer, Lamb escapes out the front door. Yeah. Aaron locks it behind him, and Drake's put the axe down and sinks slowly to the floor in pain, holding his shoulder. Um, I do want to mention something here. I mean, I can mention it. I can kind of mention it anywhere, but a screenwriter, Simon Barrett, who plays Lamb? Tiger. Who plays Tiger. Tiger's already dead. So, okay. So, Simon Barrett, RIP, because you've died. Because you <laughs> died, yeah. <laughs> said in an interview that when he was approaching, like, a home invasion movie, he really wanted to avoid most of the tropes especially mm-hmm. ones where like someone is like especially a woman gets tied to a chair and is tortured right and he said he wanted to create a really strong female lead and he does this in Aaron. and Boy, so did she he just he like ever. goes through and like there's more this is just oh the there's the so much more but god well and i think he said too that the reason he wrote a home invasion horror movie is because it's the only type of horror movie that still scares him Because like it's like Oh it could really happen Like fuck that paranormal shit Like give me real world stuff You know Yeah I mean Okay I'm gonna quote I'm gonna quote a show That is beloved to me Which is supernatural But like one thing that Dean says Over and over again Dean Winchester Is that Monsters he gets, but humans, humans terrify him because mm-hmm. monsters, they can hunt. They know all sorts of ways, but humans are just, they're just people, and man. And they're unpredictable and motivations and yeah, no, it's sometimes no motivations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Drake asks where Kelly is and Aaron lies saying she doesn't know. Z and Felix come downstairs with Felix asking what's going on. Aaron says that they've been attacked and that she stabbed one of them And Felix asks if she thinks she killed him She says no and she asks Felix if anyone was upstairs Felix lies and says no they didn't find anyone Aaron asks about Paul and Felix lies again Saying that Paul's fine and he just needed to lie down Well he's lying down alright He said he had a sore throat <laughs> Oh god that's so bad <laughs> His throat was a little scratchy um, Aaron says she thinks there are at least two attackers left and she tells everyone to head to the basement because there are some tools left down there that they can use. In the basement, Aaron starts gathering supplies, telling Felix, Drake, and Z to gather up anything heavy or sharp. Felix and Drake decide to go through Paul's tools and Z and Aaron head upstairs to make preparations. Upstairs, Aaron covers Kelly with a sheet and she shows Z how to make a nail board to place under the windows as a form of defense. Z asks Aaron how she learned all this stuff and Aaron says her father was a survivalist and that she grew up on a survivalist compound in the Australian Outback. My guess would have been Home Alone, but also survivalist. Oh, (laughs) just, yeah, there's some serious Home Alone energy in this movie. Just wait. She moved to the U.S. with her mom when she was 15, but she learned enough while on the compound to take care of herself. Z manages to hold back her shock and probably annoyance and just goes, wow, that's crazy. Felix and Drake go through their father's tools downstairs in the basement, with Felix pulling on a pair of work gloves and Drake sorting loudly through the tools. Drake asks if Felix saw Crispin come back, and he says he didn't. Drake says he's going to go look for them because he can't leave Kelly out there all alone. Felix drops the bomb that Kelly's dead, and Drake loses his shit. because. Felix keeps saying like no man She's dead she's really messed up her body's up There right now and Drake Is just like shut Shut up. up shut the fuck up He screams at Felix to Shut up over and over and we hear A squelch Felix has stabbed Drake In the stomach with a screwdriver Felix apologizes to him and Drake just stares at him in surprise and shock, but he doesn't fall. That like brotherly disbelief of, I can't believe you've done this. Yeah. What the hell did you just do? Felix then gets another tool to stab Drake. Then another, then another. We see Drake with five small hand tools sticking out of his stomach and chest. And Felix says, why won't you just die already? This is hard enough on me. I'm sure it's not the 40 Vicodin that have like slowed his blood pressure so much. The fact that Felix is making it about himself. He's like, could you just fucking die? This is hard enough. This is really hard for me, guys. (sighs) I'm going to need therapy. (laughs) Drake holds his hand up to the blood spilling out of his torso and finally falls to the ground dead. Felix pulls off the work gloves, which it was a slick move putting those on ahead of time, and he begins to drag Drake's body aside. Back upstairs while Aaron focuses on making more nail boards, Z quietly picks one up, creeping up behind Aaron and readying it to knock her in the head. Just then, Aaron turns around, catching Z in the act, which puts a stop to the impending ass whooping. As Z plays it off like she wasn't just about to beat Aaron's she's brains like, in, just, she like puts it like she's gonna scratch her back with it or something. Right. Like she's like, hey, oh yeah, nope, no, I didn't. Hey, na, 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 what's that? <laughs> it's such a, it's like a really dumb playoff, but she's like, hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aaron tells Z they should probably make one more nail board, and says she's going to head upstairs to check on Paul. Z says that she can check on him instead, obviously to stop Aaron from finding Paul's dead body. But Aaron suggests that they should go up together. Z says, That's okay. I'll stay downstairs and make another board. Aaron tells Z to be careful and heads upstairs with her trusty metal meat tenderizer. Do you think she suspects anything at this point? I don't, you know, I could tell. Part of me would say no, only yeah. because. She is so focused on the survivalist aspect of it that I don't know that and she she's... hasn't yet discovered Paul. So she hasn't yet seen Paul. Right. And so I think that at this particular moment, she's just like, survive, 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 protect, protect, protect. I don't think she's, she's yeah. quite keyed in. Yeah. That'll change in a second. Yeah. While Aaron creeps up the stairs on high alert, Z walks over to the front door and opens at a crack. So she's just like leaving, literally leaving the door open for these guys to get in. Yeah. Aaron reaches the bedroom upstairs and comes across Paul, dead on the floor. As she inspects him, we see one of the attackers slowly emerge from the darkness behind her, machete at the ready. She senses this and whips around, flinging the meat tenderizer at him to throw him off kilter and launches herself out of the second story window and onto the ground outside. This is fucking baller final oh my girl energy. Like, sure. oh my God. She's just like, uh, hmm, what's the best way to escape? I'm just going to jump out a fucking window. Okay, and I have things to say because um, I don't mean to brag. Oh boy. But you're throwing yourself out a window? But I fall a lot. <laughs> And it is yes, not easy. It is not as easy as it looks to fall right. Like she falls, I mean she she lands wrong because she falls on a piece of glass, like it's like four inches long or whatever, sticking out of her leg. But other than that, man, she lands really good. And how do you like fall and not brace yourself and break all of your limbs? I just don't know how. Well. I don't I'm sure she didn't do her own stunts but whoever did her stunts I'm like yes excellent excellent fucking job it was Zoe Bell no I don't know no no, it was not Zoe Bell I (laughs) looked I would know I feel like I would know if Zoe Bell was involved yes we're gonna watch a Zoe Bell movie soon (sighs) yes Erin is very slow to get up and we can see that a huge piece of glass is embedded in her upper thigh she groans and looks back upstairs at the window she just flew out of. And Fox pops right on out to say a silent and menacing, hey, girl, hey. Erin <laughs> <laughs> limps off into the woods and we're treated to a long, agonizing shot of her pulling the glass from her leg by flashlight. It's like fucking ow. Ow, does ow, it, ow, Does it give you that mm, dig under the skin problem no. thing? Okay. Okay, so just my... Yes, more, I will explain things, yeah. to everyone my squicky moment like my oh no 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 my oh no no moment (laughs) is like say for instance somebody has a gunshot wound and somebody is digging it out and I can like see movement under the skin that makes me want to puke I can watch throats getting slashed I can watch bones breaking compound fractures any of that stuff disembowelments decapitations nothing but it's the the moment and movement of like digging something out from under the skin because i can imagine the pain that that goes through so like a lot of old western type movies like tombstone has one scene where it's like they're digging a bullet out and i'm like nope i'm fucking out i can't watch it mine's infection yeah any kind um but this so but this didn't do that she's pulling it directly out straight out all right i know it must hurt Oh my god! But this didn't quite trip that trigger for me because she wasn't like, "Woo, I'm gonna play with it." She would have like, if somebody had stabbed her and was like rooting around with a knife or a blade or the glass, that would make me sick. Just so, just a little insight (laughs) into the way my fucking weird brain works. Aaron spots the screwdriver that she stabbed lamb with laying on the ground and she realizes she's probably not as alone among the trees as she thinks she is you yeah, know I didn't even just realize that till you just pointed it out just it's now. a really dark like it's dim like the lighting there is very dim and dark and it took me a couple of pauses to be like what does she notice and it's that screwdriver that she stuck in his back nah, it just goes to show she's more observant than me <laughs> me me. No, I'm more observant than you. She is. Oh yeah. I mean, you are too. I mean, no, a- I'm not. The average anybody human is more observant than I am. <laughs> what color was his shirt? None He had a shirt on. <laughs> I thought it was a duck. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Aaron hears footsteps approaching, and she turns just in time to see Lamb pointing a crossbow at her, and he lets a bolt fly. She manages not to get hit, and she limps back to the house as quickly as she can, ducking behind a floor length set of curtains and tying off her wounded leg with a towel tourniquet. Lamb heads back to the house with the crossbow at the ready. He peers in through a broken window into the dining room and seeing one of the nail boards comes in carefully. He's kind of like, yeah, right. However, he fails to notice the second nail board right beside the first one and steps directly on it with a Daniel Stern and Home Alone level (laughs) of pain and screaming as it pierces right through his boot and into his foot. Way more blood, though. And And there are many more uses of the word fuck than I remember in Home Alone. Like, he's like, fuck, Motherfucker. <laughs> Z and Felix, who are in Paul and Aubrey's bedroom, take notice of the screaming, and Felix asks Fox if he'll go check on that because, seriously, what the hell am I paying you for? Oh, my God. Fox looks completely disinterested, but he still heads in that direction. Felix sits on the bed and says that everything has turned into a huge mess. Z tries to comfort him, hugging his head, telling him that everything will be okay, and starting to make out with him. Felix says he's not really in the mood because go fucking figure, and then I guess to be like extra comforting, Z tells Felix, "Fuck me next to your dead mom." <laughs> to make <like, laughs> eye contact with oh, me when you say that, I didn't mean to. Are you insane? This is like this, what the shit What I don't fuck me next know. to your dead mom. I what the hell is wrong is with is this there, woman? L- she listened. Uh, what is name an emo band? I don't listen to emo music, so I don't know. But like in in my day it was like Skinny Puppy and Marilyn Manson. I'm getting like. This death cultish vibe from this chick. What I I what? literally wrote down what the actual shit I I don't know. Felix, thankfully, though, is disgusted and asks Z e what the hell would possess her to ask such a thing. She pouts and tells him that he never wants to do anything That's interesting. interesting. <laughs> and he says, I don't think that's a fair criticism. (laughs) It's a fucking great moment. (laughs) Fuck me next to your dead mom or you don't support me. It's so, oh my God. Felix storms out of the room and Z reclines on the bed next to Aubrey's dead body, stealing a ring off of the corpse and admiring it on her own finger. So she's got (laughs) problems. terrible person. Very many problems. Felix heads down to the dining room where he finds Lamb on the floor, pulling his boot off to inspect his wounded foot. Felix yells at him, telling him that he doesn't want to put his DNA all over the place. Lam tells him he'll clean it up later, just like the rest of this fucking mess. Felix is taken aback, saying he feels like Lam is accusing Felix of fucking things up. He says that he just had to kill his own brother in the basement because they're getting their asses handed to them by some girl, and that for all the good they're doing, they should have just stayed outside with their crossbows. Aaron, who is still hiding behind the curtains, overhears this and realizes that Drake is also dead and that Felix has killed him. Yeah. This means that with Drake, Paul, Aubrey, Amy, Tariq, and Kelly dead, and Crispin, who's gone to look for help out of the house, she is truly the final girl. Yeah, she really is. And, like, um, listening to this moment upstairs, like... It's seeing it from her eyes. It's like terror, just terrifying realization of like, oh holy shit, they're behind this. Um, this family's gonna kill me tonight. But then when you hear Felix deliver this line of, I had to kill my brother. You're supposed to kill my brother for me. Like, right? I had to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I had to do it. It was oogie, <laughs> icky, pasticky. Um, so I. Realize just right now at this very second while we're sitting here this is the moment where Erin fully confirms and 100% realizes that Felix is behind this because when she finds Paul's dead body upstairs she's not sure she's not sure she's probably suspicious yeah but she just heard Felix from his own mouth confirm that I killed my brother and that like shit's going down this is what you call smoking this is what you call smoking gun that is absolutely true yeah Back in the dining room, Lamb gets pissed, saying that if Felix wants to talk about brothers, they should talk about Tiger, who's Lamb's brother laying dead on the floor. And unlike Felix, I actually liked my brother, which we know because he very much cried over him. Yeah. Felix says he had no idea and comments, boy, Aaron really fucked Tiger up this is the last straw for lamb who slams felix up against a wall and says give me one reason i shouldn't just yeah, kill your also ass right don't now read the room why would you why would felix has Man. a very the she whole family sure is very ba- she clueless sure battered his brains and like did you see his brain chunks oh my god like, it was oh my like mincemeat felix says he'll pay lamb more including his brother's share which is only fair but that if he gets killed he won't get his inheritance and these guys won't get anything Lam says that the money he gets better be enough to pay them, and Felix says, would I even be doing this if it wasn't? I don't know. Would you? Maybe? No. Probably, I, not. probably not, because See, you're they are a money. weasel. Yeah, they seem money motivated. All of a sudden, a cell phone rings. 911 has sent a text message back to Aaron's phone that the emergency text she attempted to send earlier that night has been received. This alerts everyone to her presence, and with his characteristic look of boredom, Fox rolls his eyes and says he'll go take care of her. Fox's whole mood is just like, uh, Uh, I don't know, man. I just fucking shut up. Like, what do you want? Yeah, he's just like, I don't care. This is just a job. I took an edible earlier. (laughs) He's very chill. As Aaron hears footsteps getting closer to her, she readies herself in a punching stance, much like the kangaroo boxing she was talking about with Drake earlier, and Fox draws the curtains to find her. She punches him directly in the throat and limps slash runs out of the room, leaving him coughing and choking on the floor. Felix yells to everyone to go after her, and he, Z, and Fox hop into action to chase after, with Lamb limping behind them, grabbing the axe. Aaron runs out the back door, but smartly hops right back into the house through a broken window, leaving Felix, Z, and Fox to run out into the yard in the direction that they think that she's gone. Lamb, who's slower than the rest of the group because of his stabby foot, steps onto the porch and looks around, but seeing that the other three are checking the yard, he decides to peek his head in through the window. Aaron is lying in wait, though, and just as Lamb's head fully clears the window frame, she stabs him directly in the cranium with a large knife. There's a lot of head stabbing. There's a, like, a ton of head stabbing. In yeah, this Lamb stumbles backwards and Aaron retrieves the axe. He finally falls on the ground dead and Aaron, in her iconic final girl pose, looks out the window at him, axe at the ready, blood spattered and still ready to fight. I mean, come on. It's so good. If they had not used a, a picture of... Just the plain animal mask for the cover. They should have absolutely That's your movie used. Poster. oh god, it's such a great, yeah, great shot. It's better than the ready or not like wedding dress, whatever, whatever. I mean, that one's good in a in a more like campy way. This is just good in a light on oh, no, that man. She's gonna fuck shit up kind of way. <laughs> yeah. Aaron creeps back into a storeroom. I don't know what room this is. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of rooms in this I house, know. and I don't this is one that has just stuff in it. Yeah. Erin creeps back into a storeroom with the axe retrieving a brick and a spool of twine. We are then treated to some great John Carpenter esque scoring as she heads to the front door and gets to work I am so glad you said that I have more to say in just a minute about this I I danced to this This is an excellent (laughs) song she hops up on a chair, and since this is basically horror home alone, she booby traps the front door with the axe, the twine, and a brick, setting it up in such a way that anyone who comes through the front door will be caught right between the eyes. Yep. So, this carpenter ish score, it's like very synthy and, yes. and like electronic and whatever. It's awesome, but I have two comments about it. First of all, right here, is the very first time it's used in the movie mm-hmm. where all the other music is very cinematic yeah. and dread so like it while I love it and it's kind of my favorite it music is in the whole pointed. movie it doesn't fit no. with the regular the tone and then also like you know the shot is her like making these preparations and tying a knot and like placing the brick and whatever and then as the scene ends the song just cuts off it's just like bleep. And it goes quiet, I, which yeah. like usually they'll fade it out or they'll do a transition or. It was just very jarring, but it's a great song. It is a great song. I also, uh, I a little bit of a disagreement in that I feel like it does it does bring a mood out in you, and that I think it, it wanted the viewers to feel this apprehensive energy it wants your heartbeat to raise and it wants your body to it did that and i think it's because there is this preparation for the final boss fight almost because like who's completely at this point that's what it completely feels like boss fight music but like i said if they would have kind of done the same similar tone of or like the same style not tone but same style of music through the movie this would have still it would have still hit Mm-hmm. but it wouldn't have been like like i don't usually comment on movie music obviously this caught my eye enough yeah. to or my ear enough to be like this doesn't fit even yeah. though it's spectacular and i love it and i wish all of it would've been like this it doesn't fit here there's, it doesn't and then there's fit, that weird cut it I doesn't just, fit with everything else yeah yeah back outside the front door felix z and fox regroup felix worrying loudly about what will happen if the cops show up and see aaron running down the road In typical Fox laid back stoner style, he tells Felix that he just needs to calm down. Fox continues that Aaron is not faster than them. So Felix just needs to check down the road. And if he doesn't see her, he should just come back to the house. Felix asks Fox where he's going. And he says he's going into the house to check on Lamb and to make sure that Aaron hasn't doubled back. Felix tells Fox to leave him the crossbow and he laughs, doubting that Felix even knows how to use it. But he tells Felix that there are two bolts loaded, so he only has two shots, and he needs to make them count. Yeah, and he said that he's like, "Did two, two bolts? I'm make it count?" Uh, I'm grizzled. I've seen some shit. I don't, I, he can't be more than thirty, but still. Oh yeah, no, he's he has, a young dude. He has this very like grizzled. I've seen some shit. I feel like survivalist he's, energy, and I feel like he's like make it count because he just wants to, this to be over so he can go home and eat Lucky Charms. Like <laughs> probably Christ, I mean, and Pop Tarts. Back inside the house, Erin waits, but she hears the crunching of glass and realizes Fox is coming in through the window. She heads back down into the basement, grabbing a piece of firewood to smash out all the lights as she goes to the workbench. This is also badass fight old girl as well because she's like, the waymo, the waymo, the the waymo all the way down the hall. With that piece of firewood. And this is, we also get that same carpenter type music here as well. So it's like her preparation music. Yeah. Aaron starts to mess around with her digital camera, and the scene cuts to Fox coming down into the basement while we see the digital camera flashing away in the dark behind a curtain. Fox approaches the source of the flashing, and just as he gets close enough, Aaron whacks him in the leg with the firewood, knocking him to the floor. She stands up above him, beating his head in with the wood as we watch the action play out periodically by the light of the camera flash. Great Shot, it's super cool. It's great, super, super cool again. Another very creative way if you don't have good practical effects or you're not going to use CGI to like really sell it here, Mm -hmm. it is great that it's coming to you in these like little lighted vignettes. You only get to see it, Mm -hmm. has harkens back to Silence of the Lambs a little bit because it's just like you can only see a little bit of what's going on, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I know it's sold really well with that. After Aaron's turned his head into pulp, she returns back upstairs onto the first floor, limping her way into the dining room. She bends over to grab a knife from the floor, and a bolt comes through the window from the crossbow outside, and she falls out of sight. Felix, who's just taken the shot, moves to the window to investigate his damage, but Aaron isn't in there. He can't believe he didn't hit her like he thought he had, and Z asks him for the crossbow. He hands it over and Z goes inside while Felix goes to the trunk of the car to turn off the cell phone jammer. So this is why he mm-hmm. fucking knew how much. They're like 30 bucks, but they're illegal because right. he bought one. It's not going to work. I don't know <laughs> why. Turn off the cell phone jammer and to retrieve a blade. Inside, Z is stalking around with a crossbow and heads into the kitchen, but she's caught unaware as Aaron clocks her in the head and gets her in a chokehold. Hearing the commotion, Felix runs in and Aaron throws the now completely cooled pot of water at him. He, I love this. He scoffs, <laughs> saying, the water isn't even hot, you dumb bitch, but promptly slips on it and falls on his oh ass. Oh my god, it's the best! <laughs> it is the best. Because he goes, best. it's not even hot, you dumb bitch. Whoa, and then just hits the ground. Well, you fell and broke your face. That's <laughs> so good. Oh, it's so good. Z bites the shit Out of Aaron's hand And she uses Another pan To crack Z in the head Felix runs at Aaron But she kicks the door Into his face To stop his progress Also fantastic It looks like She breaks his nose But I don't know That she did But it, it sounds great Yeah Z grabs Aaron from behind and they start to wrestle and attempt to choke each other out as Felix runs up behind Aaron and plunges a knife into her shoulder blade, causing Aaron to lose grip on Z's throat and Z struggles to catch her breath. Also, I must say the blade is like an inch and a half. It is. Oh, a no, tiny, it's, but it's tiny. It's two. It's no more than like a three inch blade. It is a tiny little like, like serrated, serrated. Nothing. Yeah, it's, it's a nothing. Not blade. It's a bucket knife. Aaron grabs a blender and clocks Felix in the head with the glass pitcher breaking it against his skull and giving him a nice little concussion as he falls to the floor Aaron takes the bladed part of the blender and stabs it into the top of Felix's head she plugs it in and in the most delightful and stupid shot of this entire movie she turns Felix into a brain smoothie while he screams it's so good He's like his eyes are crossing And is like oh my god <laughs> It's it's absurd But fun. but it made me like want to laugh and cheer It's yeah. just so great This is when you had mentioned this to me When we were rewatching it to date You were like god I really wish we had seen this In the theater This mm-hmm. is one that I know would have gotten cheers In the theater Oh yeah this would have gotten applause And fuck yes and everything else Z watches all of this happen in disgust As she coughs and wheezes in anger, she gets up and readies herself to charge at Aaron, but seeing this happen, Aaron pulls the knife out of her own shoulder blade and stabs it directly through the top of Z's head. Because she's fucking baller. Yeah, and it's yet another head stabbing. Like, this is a head stabbing movie. <laughs> Aaron sits down hard on the floor, rubbing her wounded shoulder and looking like an absolute badass sitting between smoothie brain and pierced brain. <laughs> Just then, Felix's cell phone rings. Aaron looks at the screen and picks up the phone, saying nothing. We hear a familiar voice say, Felix, hey, is it all done in there or what? I saw my signal came back. Is it over? It's fucking Crispin mm-hmm. Aaron sits there in shock Listening to Crispin whine about why he didn't help How the blood was too much for him Because he's, he's a, a pacifist, pacifist And he just can't deal with the Go violence fuck yourself. This guy's such a wimp uh, He gets annoyed that Felix isn't saying anything And says he's way too cold He's coming inside <laughs> I'm chilly Puss Crispin enters through the dining room window, shocked at all the carnage and damage that he sees. I mean, because aren't there like eight dead bodies on the floor at this point? I don't know what room everyone dies in, but like there's like an overturned. Ta- there, It's just chaos. Absolute <laughs> chaos. He continues to try to get Felix to answer him on the phone, and Aaron enters the room, holding Felix's phone to her ear. Busted. Mm-hmm. Crispin is seemingly relieved to see that Aaron's okay, but seeing that Aaron's holding a knife, he asks her where Felix is. She says she stabbed a blender into his head and killed him, <laughs> and he that. just goes, oh. I love that so bad. <laughs> and I- she, yeah, she's just like, stabbed a blender in his head, killed him, and he goes, oh. Stabbed a blender in his right. I can't do it Australia. No, I'm not even going to try. Oh, he stabbed a in his brain? You want to try that again? <laughs> Take seven. Oh, he stabbed a blender in his brain? I did. No, that's Irish. You're getting further away. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, continue. <laughs> She says she cannot believe that Crispin's in on this. And he just kind of shrugs and says, well, you know how broke we are, right? Like, that's a fucking excuse. I don't know. Aaron says that he must Yuppies. have. <laughs> the Worst. Aaron says that he must have wanted her dead. And he swears, no, no, no. She was always supposed to survive. She was supposed to be the witness to everything that happened here. And it was a, quote, very important part of his plan that she didn't get hurt. Crispin asks where Z is. And Aaron says, yep, killed her, too. And Crispin just goes, ah. He tries to apologize for things getting out of control, but he says that he had no idea she was so good at killing people, which is kind of weird, actually. Yeah. It's like, this is kind of your fault, really. Right. He (laughs) says that had she reacted normally, everyone but her would be dead, they'd be rich, and maybe off to vacation in Paris. And he says, maybe an engagement? Dude, this is not the time to play this move, homie. Like... Maybe I love you enough to marry you. That's a if you non-apology. Just, what the fuck? Don't gaslight me. <laughs> Obviously, Aaron is having none of this as Crispin continues to try to tell her that he's going to be a millionaire since he's now the sole heir to his family's estate. Aaron just silently stands there in shock with tears running down her face as he continues to try to make his terrible case. She could quit her job, pay off her student loans... Or he goes to jail and she gets nothing. I love this, too. Well, I love hate it because it's so disgusting. He goes, how would $500,000 go to fix that problem of yours? It's so, oh, it's, like, let me give you my sales pitch of why this can be, like, it is just. Gross. Commodity. I have, I will have money now and money is everything. I can and just like, buy your affection and your cooperation and it's skeezy. Makes you taste bile. <laughs> Aaron cries silently as Crispin tells her that he loves her and that he promised he'd come back for her. She swiftly plunges a knife into his jugular and watches him as he sinks to the floor, spurting blood from his neck. (laughs) (laughs) He manages to croak out, why? And Aaron says, why Why the the fuck fuck not? not? And adds insult to injury by sticking a screwdriver right into his eyeball. Hell yeah. Oh my God. Stand up and cheer. But suddenly, Aaron is hit by a gunshot in the shoulder. The police showed up. An officer looks through a broken window, says fuck, and then goes to his car to call for backup and medical. Inside, a wounded Aaron tries to pull herself up. The officer goes to the front door and opens it slowly and steps through. Oh, no. Aaron screams, no, don't, as the axe trap fires, dropping the axe blade directly towards the officer's head. A blood splatter effect shows the words "You're Next." Dwight Tilly's song "Looking for the Magic" begins playing, <laughs> and the credits roll. The N. <laughs> <laughs> So, sister, yes, what did you think of <sighs> "You're Next"? I loved this movie. I loved this movie for so many reasons. First of all, gotta talk about the final girl. If you love oh, a final, man. if you love a final girl movie this is your final girl movie. Oh, yeah. Because it is not, she is not, Exploited in any way. No, she is not victimized in any way. No, she is a badass from the beginning. She knows what she's doing from the beginning. She has survivalist instincts. She's like, go, go, go. Mm-hmm. She immediately knows what to do, and it is a thing of beauty. It is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Well, all and one, throughout, and one thing too is like, um, when she's you know, kind of at the beginning, when there's still some people alive, she's actually not only focused on herself, she's trying to protect everyone Everyone. she's telling she's telling screaming mom to get down she's trying to get Mm -hmm. people under tables she's like using chairs to like hide from bolts. she's trying to keep people away from windows yeah it is just fantastic to see because the whole time everyone else is a just a bumbling bunch of yuppie idiots and she (laughs) is like all right i know what to do here everybody Mm -hmm. follow me also there's another movie i'm like staring at the poster right behind your head night of the living dead is very much that way too if you uh this chick is chased down she goes into a house there's a dude there he's like if you want to be here this is what we're doing He takes control He knows what he's doing He knows yeah. what's going on And it is another fantastic movie But it's like Having somebody who is I'm in the know And I know how to get us through this If you mm-hmm. listen to me Which people rarely do No one ever does No one ever listens to anybody in the know In these movies But it is great to see Yeah Also I was shocked when I heard this In an interview Like a press chunk interview With uh, Sharni Vinson Who plays Played Aaron Aaron yeah Your Next hit the film festivals in 2011 to like amazing acclaim. Mm -hmm. Like people, it got a huge reception. People loved it. People Mm -hmm. were super excited about it. It was owned by Summit and Summit went through a merger with Lionsgate. Lionsgate, yeah. When Summit and Lionsgate went through a merger, they shelved your Next. Your Next actually didn't come out until 2013. Yeah. So, Sharni Vincent here... Uh, talks about how she was nervous about the movie movie ever even coming out because they put all this work in. They were super proud of themselves. Everybody worked really hard. And then they had to kind of wait their turn because yeah. Lionsgate had a lot of movies on the dock they had a lot of movies that they had planned to come out. And so when, she, when it did finally come out, she was relieved. She was excited again. I am so stoked because I don't think I've ever seen her in anything before. No, I kind of looked up her IMDb today and she- she's done there's like a Marvel thing she's involved with now but like she doesn't have a ton of acting credits but she's so solid in this movie it's It's very solid she's excellent yeah um there are so like there's so many oh fuck kills in this movie Mm -hmm. too like I don't find it scary, but it definitely gave me nail-biting energy throughout. The oh, whole it's thing. tense, yeah. And there were some very unexpected, uh, unexpected twists to a pretty tired premise of like yeah. the home invasion or like family stuck together and somebody's gonna, yeah. So it was wonderful to see this kind of movie resurrected in that way. Yeah, and I think that's definitely to the screenwriting and the direction. I'll definitely throw this one into rotation. It yeah. has a strong, badass chick turning tables, and a, that is always welcome in my collection. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, also, I would absolutely watch your next pre- prequel because I want to know <gasps> her story. I want to know her story. Show me the Outback. Show me the survival camp. Oh, God. Camp. Show me a little like preteen or teenage yes. of Aaron, like becoming Aaron. Yeah, it's sad. Um, uh, simon barrett the screenwriter kind of said like we don't have like because lots of people we want your next too like we want the second one and oh, he's like i don't have plans for that a prequel though i, I could absolutely get out of a that. prequel because it, there are there's it it's open for that it's mm-hmm. open for that yeah no i mean where else is she gonna go from this i mean right she, she's on the run everybody thinks she's a murderer what? yeah like that's um, also done to death but oh god yeah aaron is the badass killing machine She's like in hardcore kills like yeah, hardcore kills. Oh, yeah. She does not have any like tee hee. I stabbed you. She's like, no, I'm going in and my intent is to make you dead. So what are your thoughts? I tell me everything. I freaking love this movie. That is why I wanted to cover it for the podcast. I'm really still surprised that you had not seen it before. I'm so glad that you have watched it, though. Um, Like you said, this is one that's going to go into my rotation. Mm -hmm. If I'm just like, man, I need a badass chick movie. I'm pro this is something I'd pick. I watched this movie three times in like three days. Too. Yeah. It's yeah. fun. It is very fun. Um, I love the aesthetic. I love the fact that, you know, the the dialogue seems very natural because a lot yes. of it is improv. The Family, although terrible and dysfunctional, feels very real. Yes. Like, you know people like this, probably. Well, or I mean, and some of the things that are said that do come across as so ridiculous. 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 If you put yourself... Weird oh, shit comes yeah. out of your face when you're scared. Weird shit comes out of my face because of who I am as a human. So, like, <laughs> it's going to come out when I'm scared, too. I mean, I, I don't have a lot to pick apart about this movie. No. Like I mentioned, there's that one the part with the music yeah. where I'm like, eh you really have to kind of like or not care about that fucking Dwight Tilly Twilly song because it plays through Mm. a good chunk of the movie and you're going to hear it a lot. I think the casting was great. I love that. You know, I kind of mentioned in my intro you Know the guy that plays Drake, Joe Swanberg, mm-hmm. he is a director, he worked on a yeah. segment of VHS. Yeah, Ty West directed The Innkeepers and House of the Devil. Yeah, so um, Amy Simetz has done some. Mm-hmm. Um, so they not only got people who could act, but they also got like other Film directors makers. kind of in the same genre, and so I really dug that yeah. I thought that was really, really cool. Anytime and I think, you're gonna get nerds of the same genre. I'm, yes. Uh, yeah. I'm and about I, it. I feel like that's probably why it worked. I, I also, like I said, this is the movie that brought Barbara Crampton out of retirement. I know. So that definitely that's gives cute. me a soft little spot in my heart. I like that. Um all all around it is a fun movie. It yeah. is an action packed movie. You're not gonna go in and find a bunch of like super deep you know themes and whatever to discuss at length afterward but if you just need like a badass stabby bloody popcorn eating good time this is a great choice I highly recommend it so how many days rental are you uh, doing this one for oh this is tough I kind of had to look back at all my other ratings of movies I've rated so far because I'm like well do I like it as much as this or do I like it more than this or do you know um i probably have rated some movies previously incorrectly so that's like try me trying i'm like i'm gonna have to start giving quarter stars like fucking star search um but i think for this movie i am definitely renting it for a solid eight i will put it in my rotation i mean i had seen it before i was absolutely happy Mm. to watch it again a few times this Mm. week it's just it's great. Yeah. It really is great and and I will be a champion for the prequel. Yeah, I'm I'm running it for 9. Yeah, yeah, really. Really. I'm surprised at how much I loved it and it is just a fun movie. It's one that I would show my mother. Yeah. Um, my mom would like this one. Yeah. If she like I said it was kind of a cousin to Ready or Not mm-hmm. and like, you know, so it's got that like Fucked up family, dark comedy I think it's one that you could show somebody That's not even a horror fan I think that's why I like it so much Because yeah. even if they're not really a horror fan But they like comedy but, Or dark comedy You can really get you Yeah, if they really can get, the get the past the blood It's freaking great <laughs> Yeah, but even then It's not so gore Like I said, there's not like brain matter And viscera and stuff right. That's truly yeah. like, I don't want to see entrails You don't have to That's not That doesn't right. exist here um so yeah oh, man what a great time Two <laughs> bloody kills yeah i'm super glad that i introduced you to this one then thanks Uh huh. that wraps it up for this episode listeners and lurkers thanks for joining us here on the last Isle. what did you think of this week's episode let us know on our social media channels at last Isle on facebook and twitter and at last Isle pod on instagram we look forward to hearing from you we'll be back next week with a new episode so sit back Cuddle up with your impromptu household weapons and grab a creepy animal mask and come peruse the selection of movies in the last aisle. See you soon.